Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 141, Revisiting Disco Inferno. Disco. Oh, I'd rather be dead. Guy? I've been hit. And cut. Cut it. It's good. Print that one. I'm a stunt man. Almost a dead one. I told you to check that safety. I pad. did. Well, then how come it was moved? I don't know. I double checked it. You almost it. got your brother's head caved in. Oh, wait, 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 wait a second. I'm okay. Al, this is worse than anything imaginable. What are you talking about, Sam? You're on the set of a low budget disaster movie, Disco Inferno, with lights, camera, of action. Where am I? Uh, you're in uh, Burbank, California, April 1st, 1976. What, are you telling me I'm the butt of some cosmic April Fool's joke? What does Ziggy say I'm here to figure out? Well, before Ziggy crashed, he did come up with one thing. In the next two days, uh, Chris is gonna die. He's your little brother. He dies? How? Well, when? Where? Will you find out? I don't know anything until Ziggy gets fixed. And in the meantime, you just got to play Big Brother uh, for a couple of days. Make sure Chris doesn't do any stunts or race any fast cars or, you know, that he doesn't... What? Al, I... I have a big brother. I was wondering when you were going to remember that. Tom. His name is Tom. How can I forget that I have a brother? The leap Swiss cheesed your memory. Where is he? What's he doing? Sam, you know the rules. I can't tell you any of that. I don't remember anything. Come on, Al, help me. Sam, just worry about the little brother down there. Who's going to die? Two days. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher D. Philippus. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And I'm QLP host Capricorn. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, so today we are revisiting the classic <laughs> <Nice> series. <try>. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, huh? Nobody's biting on that one. Uh, <laughs> it, it went over just as well as the joke in the episode. <laughs> yeah. And that what? episode is Disco Inferno. <laughs> what, what were you going to say, Matt? Yeah, what were you going to say, real singer Matt? there. No, I didn't. No, I was I was just going to explain the reason I kept quiet, besides the fact to just to make Chris Chris's joke fall flat, was because I'm on the cusp. So I'm like two different ones. So I can't just jump in and go, oh, I'm this, without a big explanation, which totally uh, would have killed the flow. And I feel like that's what I've just done now. So I'm Scorpio slash Sagittarius. You have to elaborate now. So you're two star signs? Yeah, because uh, if, if you're How on the cusp, the star, star signs shift a couple of days either way, depending on where you're, what rag you're reading them in. Sorry for anyone that believes in star signs. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm usually Scorpio, but sometimes Sagittarius. I'm a Sagittarius. Maybe sometimes we're aligned there. Yeah, exactly. But only sometimes. And this is where the whole star sign thing falls apart if it hasn't already. Oh, beans. That's why some shows you guys are really jiving and some shows you guys are at loggerheads because, you know, Scorpio and Sagittarius, that epic rivalry. Am I right? Oh, exactly. Is, is that a right. thing? I know nothing. <laughs> I don't think it's a About thing. I'm just making signs. shit up. <laughs> so thank you, Matt, for that. I didn't know that. So see, we all learned something. The more you know. And um, yeah. Hey, we're talking about Disco Inferno today. Burn, baby, burn in your star signs. Um, this is the one with Sam as a stuntman. Yeah. The forbidden disco episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you make it sound so exciting when you put it like that. The forbidden disco episode. It's because this one is the one that was frequently omitted from streaming services for some reason. I don't know why. It's not now, but it used to be. So it was kind of like a lot of people that were binging it were like, what about that disco episode? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, I, a lot of, it seems to be one of these accepted bits of fan wisdom. Oh, it's because of all the music in it. It's because of all the music. There's other episodes that have got more music. There's like, there's four needle drops in this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Three. No, no, three needle drops. There's the music. There's also footage from the movie Earthquake. I have no idea if any of that would have affected it or if there was some other weird reason. Sometimes streaming just omits things for <laughs> yeah. whatever reason, like a master doesn't get supplied or there's some other. There might not even be an actual reason it wasn't there, just yeah. for whatever reason, somewhere along the line it got omitted. So interesting. I always figured it was the music, so I'm, I'm right there with the fan theories, I guess. But there's a lot of music in the show, though, that wasn't omitted in streaming, so it'd be weird it was just that one, unless there was, like, one song they really couldn't clear or couldn't cut for some reason. I have no idea. And this has this is one of the ones that has music replacement for the DVDs, um, or the, the early DVDs anyway, so it's not like they didn't have an audio track they could have felt fallen back on if that was a problem. Uh, all three of the needle drops were replaced for the the first releases of the DVDs. So yeah, that was there as an option. So I, it seems obvious for it to be the needle drops, but also possibly too simple an explanation. I think yeah, I'm I'm with Allison. I think it's just one of those things that shit happens or earthquake. <laughs> There's some stuff that like it doesn't end up on streaming services because it was, you know, not aired in some places or it was like uh, for some reason taken off and then it's fine now. But the people doing the streaming didn't bother looking up, you know, what episodes are included or whatever. 
let's just call it the forbidden episode and then in the the vague possibility there's somebody listening to this that's not seen it they'll just assume that al gets his butt out at some point or something like that (laughs) it was controversial there's like there's just too much country music going on here there's too much polyester there's too many mood ring jokes and and gerald ford gags (laughs) He's shaking his booty on the dance floor and boy is he ever. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much nonsense in this episode. I can't wait to get, get into it with yeah. you guys. <laughs> I do want to do some first impressions, but I also want to let everybody listening know that we are proudly bringing you an encore interview on this show with Quantum Leap stunt coordinator Diamond Farnsworth. Alby spoke to him many years ago, and um, I just figured this would be a perfect show to have him on because he's been Scott's personal stuntman throughout the series, and I think he's Scott's go-to guy still. He was doing NCIS. They talk about that in the interview, but uh, he also did all the stunts for this episode. So um, he tells Alby about that as well. So yeah, it's just really cool. I listened back to it this morning and I said, oh, this is this is perfect. Awesome. Yeah, this seems cool. like a, a cool guy, Diamond Farnsworth. Cool name. <laughs> yes. He even uh, describes why he has that name. So uh, oh, yeah? there we go. Yeah, yeah. So it's chock full, everyone. So stay tuned for that after the break. But hey, let's get some first impressions of Disco Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to dislike this episode a lot if you keep singing through this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alison, what, what did you think? Yeah, I think this is a fun episode. Like, uh, I, I would say uh, above average. Uh, maybe not like a, a favorite of mine, but I think it's fun. How about you, Matt? Yeah, this it's a, it's a fun, silly episode. I, I really like it. There's, there's, there's plot holes aplenty, but um, <laughs> yeah, as long as you squint through that, it's a really good one. <laughs> I did really enjoy it as well. I think that um, it's very good, not only as an example of a classic feeling leap, but also great character work in this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great Sam and Al moments. Yeah. And um, some some Sam lore that is, I guess, for the first time ever, even though we all know it now. So some good stuff to dive into on this episode. So let's get our booties out on the dance floor because (laughs) 70s disco mood rings. Hey, do you get it? What's your sign? Eight tracks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, oh man, is this the first time they went to the 70s? I I think it might be. No, the 70s was star-crossed, but this is the first time they go into disco glam 70s. But it's weird because this episode really, uh, it's kind of a deceitful title. (laughs) It's not really about disco. There's a movie called Disco Inferno that features some disco in it, but this is really about kind of the the country-flavored version of the 70s. They drop a reference to Urban Cowboy, which was was early 80s, but I mean, that was kind of the shift into that. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to me that he leaps in as basically John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever, right? With the pose and everything. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That was because of Saturday Night Fever. And then they refer to Urban Cowboy, which was John Travolta's 80s music movie, right? (laughs) But all of this, maybe this is just me looking through the 2023 eyes. All of this seems to be presented as if it's like the 70s was another land. This was... 13 years before the episode was made. He's gone back in time 13 years and they're making out like it's it was the ancient ancient history. Well, as I say, maybe that's because it's ancient history now, but it, it wasn't when the episode was made. It was a decade ago. 
Yeah, it's because this was during the era of Quantum Leap where they they like to describe the decades a lot, you know, like, do you get it? It's the time travel stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for some reason, I love that this is a through line in the show. Uh, Sam really just has a dislike (laughs) of the 70s, just disgusted by the whole era. A mood ring from the self-obsessed 70s when everyone was getting in touch with their feelings. The me decade, where everybody had the morality of two dogs in a park. And... (laughs) I kind of like it because it's not really rationalized. I guess he's just saying, like, people were self-centered or it was stupid and tacky and I just hate this stuff. It's interesting. Like, I I like that he hates it and Al loves it. (laughs) But hang on. (laughs) Sam comes up saying, like, oh, yeah, I hate the 70s. It's so, so, everyone's so self-centered and me, me, me. And then Al says, oh, yeah, back at the project, we've all just stolen money from the boss. Uh, Oh, Ziggy, he crashed on us the other night. And ever since... He's been doing screwball things like he put extra zeros on everybody's paychecks. So half the staff rushed out on vacation. (laughs) But hey, you keep talking about the 70s being selfish. You know what I love, too? Um, Sam calls this the worst thing. Like He says it's worse than anything imaginable that he's in the 70s. The last episode, he killed a man. (laughs) He's like, this is the worst thing imaginable That I landed in the 70s in a disco party He killed a man last episode This episode, he wants to be dead That's what he said, I want to be dead This is the best cold (laughs) open they ever had Sam leaps in and he does not know he's on a movie set We'll talk about that in a second But (laughs) Um, (laughs) he doesn't know he's on a movie set This guy comes into this disco Blasts him with a shotgun He goes flying through a fucking window This is the... (laughs) And then smash cut to credits. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was it was a lot, and so this this is them cheating like big time, right? And this is not the only time they do this on this show. Oh yeah, they don't know how filming works, even though they're filming a TV show. <laughs> yeah, right. But it, it is the first time they've done it, you know, like chronologically. But we also we also saw this on Moments to Live, where right. you know Sam yeah. is on a TV set, but we're not meant to know he's on a TV set, and he doesn't seem to realize that there's a whole you know phalanx of cameras in front of him. Somehow he just misses that fact. He thinks he's in the moments trying to keep someone alive or trying to get away from a killer. And it's just like, I mean, what? (laughs) This one to me makes less sense than that one. I mean, they're both nonsense because you have stage lights, you have cameras, you have all sorts of things that would be exceedingly obvious. But at least on a soap opera, I could believe maybe if you were turned away a bit, you would only be seeing this. You would be doing the one take until you realized, oh, this is a, a scene that we're shooting. This one makes no sense. If you are doing an action scene in a club where you have all of this continuity, you are going to have several different pieces pieced exactly. together uh, to make this scene. Like, he would notice he was in a wire. Like, you don't mm-hmm. not notice that you're in a full body harness that's going to fling you back. Like, those things are super uncomfortable. That would be just a shot in itself would just be on the wire. Like, you wouldn't yeah. be filming this entire scene of dancing and then uh, the guy comes into the club and all that like that's just nonsense yeah the fact that he could walk around freely number one yeah uh, i guess it's just a lucky thing that that wire didn't trip anybody else because where is it is it suspended from the ceiling how does i don't know how that works but obviously it's something a physical thing that's got to pull him back It, it would be behind him 
And then thank God he hit his mark so that he could go through the window just by luck. <laughs> well, he kind of missed it. They go, they go like over like uh, the dad's mad because he didn't quite hit the stunt mat. Like he so there was something off about it. But I would think if he was that concerned about safety, he would be like, wait, he's walking around. He's doing all this other stuff. That's not part of the scene. That's not part of the stunt. This director is clearly into just shooting real and shooting long shots because this mm-hmm. is what well, is is this the same director? I, I can't remember now. Is this the same director that had Sam doing a fall from what looks like the top of a genuine skyscraper later on in the episode? Is that the same film? Uh, no, it wasn't because that was from the movie Earthquake, which is a real movie. No, I know that's I know it's from the movie Earthquake, but is he actually shooting Earthquake within the the fiction of the film? Yes, he is. He is, yeah, because there's a a chair that says Earthquake on it, and they might actually say the name of the movie. So there's two shitty directors in Hollywood, then both just going <laughs> stunts. Well, that just means doing stuff for real. I would love to know how in universe the the stunt on Earthquake was set up because. <laughs> He got like this this fall from the building into a stunt bag, which uh, I, I think some movies might do that. I'm not sure if it would be quite from that height, but the way that they have the setup is Sam's got the wig on. He's at the top of the the set. He's talking to this other stunt lady. Uh, she pushes him off, and then I guess they're filming, and uh, he doesn't seem to know that he was going to fall. And it's like, would you not have any rehearsals? Would you not have anything where you talked about it beforehand? Like. Especially if you're falling into a stunt bag from that great of a height on this big Hollywood movie, like Earthquake was a theatrical movie, like that makes no sense to me. Sam is falling for six seconds. How high up do you have to be to be falling for six seconds? I don't know. I don't know if they would really do them from like as high as, I guess if they showed him falling, then maybe. I mean, if if you watch that sequence in Earthquake, it's very clearly all done as, as you would expect it to be, like a couple of feet from the ground and then composited in. It does, yeah, it's not a six second fall. There's, I did a bit of research about falls and the world record free fall stunt was from somebody who did a fall that took seven seconds. So he is very close to a world record for a free fall. <laughs> this stuff doesn't make any sense in universe no. because... <laughs> I don't know why Sam wouldn't know what they were doing. What do you think he was going up on that building for? Well, yeah, here's the thing. So he would be prepared. It's so that the viewer is like, oh my God, Sam's going to fall. It's for a cheap act break, right? Mm-hmm. It's so that right. you can have it a- an act break. But what stuntman comes up behind another stuntman and just pushes them off a building? Yes. Like in exactly. what world does that happen? That. She's like, oh, I, I don't like you. you. You slept with me and then didn't call back. I'm just going to push you off. She dies though anyway. So that's all right. Because you can literally see her body. Yeah, no one else hits that stunt bag, so where'd she go? <laughs> no, you, you can see her in the corner of the screen, like, her dead body just <laughs> sprawled out on the floor. She she fell off and died, so that's all right. Oh, well, she Justice. deserved it. <laughs> uh, once a screamer, always a screamer. Once a screamer, always a screamer. <laughs> that was a cute line. But uh, also, was the was him hanging off of that beam and reaching for help supposed to be part of the scene? Because Sam doesn't seem to know the scene. But then the the one guy comes in, uh, Ben Cartwright. <laughs> ben Cartwright! <laughs> Lauren Green. Al is, like, excited that he's going to save him. But it's like, it, either this was in the scene or it wasn't. Like, do they think this was going wrong? Like, what was happening? Maybe just some very serendipitous actions on Sam's part that just happened to coincide perfectly with the way the stunt was originally intended to be set up. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Sure. 
Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it, that's, that's the only stuff that kind of took me out of the episode because it was just so blatantly dumb. All of it done for just like a cheap, suspenseful moment or whatever, you know, with, with the, with him getting shot. Oh no, what happened to Sam? Or, you know, him hanging onto that I beam. Oh no, Sam is going to fall. Well, yeah, he was there. They were talking about the fact that the stunt was a fall. It's a fall. Yeah, they keep trying to pull, like, the stunts are real, even though the audience knows that they're stunts, but Sam doesn't seem to know they're stunts or what's happening in the stunts, and it doesn't really work, like, if you think about it for a little bit. I was wondering, too, like, in the first scene, when he's uh, filming part of Disco Inferno, and he does the, like, shooting stunt, and he goes off set, and... uh People just continue to dance like this is a club. There's a bar. Maybe they're shooting in an actual club. But why would they have people like dancing to music while they're setting shots up? Like that doesn't really make sense to me that it it would just be going on like that. Method acting. <laughs> <laughs> some second unit stuff. Maybe they're just getting some some filler shots. I think the um the club in the place the thing. Uh, the fake band did a bit of jamming in between shots. So. Maybe. But the place the thing wasn't a movie set. Yeah, like they were setting up shots. And especially if you're trying to do continuity with the, the dancing and all that, you wouldn't want all of your dancers just A, dancing when you're not shooting anyway, because they're going to tire themselves out. But B, like it's just going to be a continuity mess. I'm not, I'm not talking about within the fiction of the place the thing. I mean, in real life, the, when I interviewed the guitar player. He said they, they did some jamming, but I don't think that was literally between shots, to be fair. I think it was like on lunch breaks and stuff. But they were they were messing around on the set because they had a good set to play with. Sure. So, I don't know. That, that was just me name dropping that, hey, I got to speak to the guitarist and the place the thing. So uh, ignore it. It's, it's, not, it's not relevant information for this. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool trivia. Maybe that and maybe they did do stuff like that. It just seemed like I was like, oh, they're in a club. Wait, no, they're shooting a movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's both. It's whatever the plot needs at that moment. So mm-hmm. um, we did get to see Al dancing to the hustle, though. And that was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Al's, Al's first appearance all in this. It's, it's an old timer. <laughs> it's an old timer. The way the way Dean does. He, he killed it in this one. I absolutely adored this. And uh, we got some stuff about Al. Allison, uh, I had mentioned something on an earlier show where I thought that um, Al had said that Vietnam was behind him and the space project was ahead of him and that's why he liked the 70s but you said no i think he said the space program is behind him and starbright is ahead of him i had outer space behind me a starbright project ahead of me and i was a dancing machine so i stand corrected there i'm sorry that uh that i think i kind of contradicted you on that one yeah this is like maybe one of a like a handful of times he mentions being an astronaut yeah, yeah. The only thing that got him uh, laid more was a spacesuit. <laughs> so this 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 gives me again. I think we've had this question before when we did Diaper Monkey. When exactly did Al go up into space? <laughs> if it's the seventies, it had to be the Apollo program. And if it was the Apollo program, how did he do that while he was in Vietnam? Well, he just said that the space program was behind him. It could have happened pre uh, fighting in Vietnam. So he would have been in Mercury? He would have been with, like, Alan Shepard and Neil Armstrong? And, I mean... I mean, I, I stand by my headcanon. I was just making it up. 
I was just making it up because he was bummed out. He didn't have a great 70s, you know, but when he came out of Vietnam, like uh, we saw this or read this in Pulitzer, uh, he just loved everything the opposite of where he was, which was disco, it was tackiness, it was all of the things that Sam hates from the 70s. So if you go in there with that kind of headcanon about why it means so much to Al, I think it adds like some layers to it. It's interesting. Oh, I think it's great. I'm just... The space geek in me is just like having a conniption as to when did he go up into space? What program was he a part of? I mean, I get it why he no loves sense. the 70s. Yeah. Because like it, it, the canon of the show, it's like mid 70s when he came out of Vietnam as a POW. So was it the happiest time of his life? It doesn't really add up. Well, he, yeah, I, I mean, this, this isn't going to help. This is just going to screw with things further. And I, I think you guys know this anyway, but just since we're on the topic, in The Wrong Stuff, Al says that when he was in space, uh, they circled the moon and read from the Book of Genesis, something like that, which is, uh, what's that, Apollo 8, which was 1968, or in 1968 in our timeline, at which point he's definitely POW. So... You could just say it's one of those time things where sometimes in a timeline it's like that and other times it's another way. Like maybe sometimes Al goes to space and sometimes he's a POW. Oh, this is the novel stuff again. You just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to make up something, you know, because yeah. it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, so I think, yeah, and I'm sorry, we, we might be rehashing this uh, because we did talk about this. Now you're refreshing my memory about the Apollo 8 stuff, Matt. So sorry to listeners out there. I'll, I'll get I'll get out of this rabbit hole. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get us back on track. I think so, we talked about that about three years ago. I, th I think we're good. All right, but it, it bears it bears repeating because I think this, and like you said, Allison, um, we hear about it in Diaper Monkey. Did we ever get any kind of reference to Al as a spaceman other than those two eps? There was the pilot, there was this, there was Diaper Monkey. I think that's it for the show. Hmm. The novels did a little bit, because the, the last one we read, uh, Double or Nothing, had some references to it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it didn't get mentioned that much, uh, and especially after all the, the POW stuff, I mean, like, the timeline doesn't really add up, so maybe that's why they stopped mentioning it. I'm trying to look through my timeline to see. I, I think in my timeline I just gave up and yeah, I, I didn't try and figure out when it is. I'm honestly, I'm searching through my timeline. I cannot find where I settled that he went into space. Thus, I mean, you could pretend it's a fake space mission because I mean, Quantum Leap is a fictional show, so you just pretend a fictional space mission happened. Oh yeah, but still, when he was a busy boy in the sixties yeah. and seventies. Al would have no time to do any of the things that he says that he's done because he's a big liar. He hasn't done <laughs> half the things that he says he's done. I don't buy it. I think he's done it and we'll figure it out. One day we will get <laughs> a cohesive timeline that makes sense. Yeah, the Quantum Leap 2022 is going to be like, we're going to lay it out straight. Here's when Al went to space. <laughs> it's important. It's very important. It's important to me, damn it. I did love, uh, there's some great Al stuff in this episode. When he shows up in a leisure suit with a man bag. <laughs> you had a purse. Get out of here, purse. This is a man bag. You owned a man bag? Yeah. My pants were always too tight to carry a wallet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just so excited. He's like dressing up and dancing. <laughs> It's just very good because I don't think there's a lot of episodes where he just basically wears a costume. I mean, I, I guess they're saying this was an old uh, outfit of his, but yeah, yeah, 
the fact that he's like just getting into the time period. Sam sees him dancing outside. Great. And listen, they want to, you know, hit you over the head with the fact that this is the 70s. There's no way Al isn't wearing a leisure suit. And, you know, uh, just I, I I don't know how how well you guys know this. At that time in the 80s, um, the 70s had become somewhat of a joke. It was the butt of everybody's joke. Everybody hated disco. Uh, anyway, you know, it was it, – disco was dead. Long live rock. And – a lot of the times, a lot of the popular entertainment would poke fun at the 70s mercilessly. So I think this was just part of that trend continuing because um, it's just – it has such a distinctive look that you can't help but say, look at that. Weren't we all like idiots? Look at those shirts. Look at those bell bottoms. Look at those stupid <laughs> leisure suits. And then lo and behold – in the 90s, a lot of that stuff came back into fashion. Oh, sure. So, yeah, everything yeah. Uh, comes back around. But um, I think there are multiple reasons why uh, the whole disco is dead thing happened. I'm not like a historian on this kind of stuff. But from my understanding, part of it is because uh, Saturday Night Fever became sort of a, a parody. You know, it was such a big movie. Everyone's like, yeah, it's the, the white disco suit and the, the one scene everyone remembers, not any of the really heavy dark shit in that movie. <laughs> But also, disco was really big with uh, gay and black culture, and there was that backlash against that because of uh, prejudices. So that's part of the reason why the whole disco is dead thing got pushed forward. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other things like people are embarrassed about things from their past sometimes. You know, you look at things from the early 2000s and you're like, ooh, cringe. Oh, I mean, I have, I have baby pictures, not baby pictures, but I have pictures of me as a toddler in my leisure suit <laughs> posing with, with my brother in his leisure suit. So I think that's part of the whole embarrassment from the 70s. Did you have a man bag as well? I did not have a man bag. Yeah, but <laughs> in, in my defense, I didn't have a wallet to carry in it either. <laughs> Your diapers were too tight to carry a wallet in it. Right. <laughs> No, I, I must have been six or seven in my little blue leisure suit. So I can say firsthand, boy, I look dumb. <laughs> can I just check with you guys? Because maybe this is a British thing, but I, I've been the proud owner of a series of man bags for the last 20 years. Did they go out and come back or did they just go out? If you want to have a man bag, have a man bag. It's so dumb to be like, oh, no, a man bag. That girls wear purses. <laughs> yeah, I'm, for me, it was always like a gender thing. Guys didn't have purses, and we call them purses. Uh, if you do have Merses. one, but <laughs> but they're not common. They're not common in my experience. Although I do know one person that uses one, but you don't talk to them. Yeah, I don't talk to them. I'm not going to talk to you after this podcast either. So <laughs> good job, idiot, for breaking up the show, you Scorpio. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't like. I don't even like carrying like stuff in my pockets. That's how much I hate carrying crap. When I go to the city, I have my money clip and maybe my key fob. And that's it because I yeah. don't want to I don't want to be, you know, even if I have like my cell phone is a pain in the ass sometimes. It gets too bulky in my pocket. So I there's no chance I'm carrying a purse. Yeah, well, you know what? <laughs> Women hate carrying purses too, but they don't make our outfits with pockets that are big or they're like too tight to carry your wallet in, much like Al. Uh, I relate to that. Uh, so you got to have a purse and then that's uh, for, you know, your husband or your boyfriend to like put stuff in. <laughs> like, yeah. Can you carry this? Like, Guilt guilty. You have a purse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's picking oh, it out. Yeah. Run! <laughs> <laughs> 
I didn't want to say we were talking about Al's outfit. Um, he had his oh, yeah. leopard print suspenders on again. I think he wore them like in right hand of God or something. Also, I love those leopard print suspenders. They're so good. He looked great in this episode. Yeah, I mean that first outfit that he was wearing when he was doing the hustle was spectacular. Yeah, it was like what a blue suit. Yeah, it was like a blue suit, white shirt. It was, but it was just a classic Al. It wasn't that outlandish, but it was just like a perfect example of Al's look. Yeah, he just looks slick, you know? Yeah, and the way it was cut in a rug, too. I guess that helped. So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. the, the way Dean danced in this, I think you could tell he was having a ball, like in real life. Yeah. Right? He was, he really just, yeah. he, you know, just chewed into this part for this episode. And who knows? Uh, you know, a lot of his stuff was this that. <laughs> Do you think he got his moves while he was doing that uh, that kickboxing stuff or whatever he did? Oh, man. <laughs> I do not think stick, Dean stick fighting. It was stick fighting. Is, <laughs> yeah, stick fighter is the name of the movie. But um, yeah, uh, I don't think he uh, was ever much of a dancer, but he always had like such a cool like vibe about him that you didn't really care. I did see him do choreographed dancing in that movie he did with uh, Neil... Diamond was it? What is it called? I'm gonna look it up. Human know, Highway. I, I remembered it now. Neil, he Neil did Young. do some choreo. Neil Young. Yeah, he did some uh, choreographed dancing in uh, Human Highway there, but it was like a whole big group. Um, it seemed like, from what I've heard, he picked up like fight choreography pretty well. So I mean, maybe if he was trying to do like some sort of dance choreography, like that they went over a little more, he might have picked it up. But I don't know. But yeah, he was like he was cool in this episode, so it was it just felt like he was just vibing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the episode was better for it. It helped you um, get over some of the sheer stupidity of <laughs> of the bees, and, <laughs> and I got to say, it also it it uplifted the proceedings a little bit because as good as it was to see sort of a standard kind of leap or them you know establish that this is maybe the kinds of things Sam is going to be doing, it was still I don't know if it was a very strong leap story. What what did you guys think think of oh you know poor Chris poor pouty Chris? <laughs> no, I thought it was fine. I thought they did a good job of like the drama and the comedy. Like I, I cared what was going on with him. I thought the the girl that uh, that played his um, girlfriend Kelly Williams. I thought she did mm. a good job too. I don't know if this was Chris Cam. He's the one that played Chris Stone. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was actually him singing that song, um, but it was original song for the episode, and uh, I liked it. I thought it was a good song. Yeah. So, Matt, do you have any info on that song? Because I tried to look it up online, and the only thing that I was able to, to, to parse from, I guess, comments on YouTube, um, some people seem to be convinced that the guy who sang the song was like a guy who sang TV themes in the 80s, and Hardcastle and McCormick came up as um, mm. a reference quite a few times, and then other people saying, no, it's the actual guy, it's Chris Cam singing the song, but I don't think so. What what have you found out about it? Yeah, it sounds sounds like you got further than I did. I I never got to the bottom of that. I assumed that since was as I generally assume that since this was a guest spot, they'd have hired a singer, and that that was him singing it. It's not always the case, though. I guess it depends. I know, but it just seems like why hire two people when you can hire one? I and yeah, 
I know it happens, but my immediate assumption in the absence of any other evidence was that it was it was Chris actually singing, but I'm quite happy to be proved wrong if anyone has any paperwork, but I don't, unfortunately. we got to get Velton back on the phone. He could probably tell mm. us. But I, I can say, now that I read that it was the guy who maybe sang the theme for Hardcastle McCormick. I used to watch that show and now I can't, I can't unhear it because I do recall <laughs> that it had kind of a beefy voice singing whatever the theme of that was. I used to watch that show. It was pretty good. Uh, Brian Dennehy was in it, I believe. Uh, anyway, um, I liked their story. I liked Sam's chemistry with Chris in this, uh, especially when they were talking about the music. They really came across to me genuinely as as brothers. So I, I thought that that was a, a nice play. And I think it's just because Scott's so naturally charming. But then you have this guy, he's a grown man, essentially, you know, pouting his way through a date with a woman who was clearly, very clearly into him and not his brother. And mm-hmm. she even says, you know, look at, yeah, he, he looks like an idiot. He's just, I like, I prefer someone wearing exactly what you're wearing. Get it? Get it? Just throw yourself yeah. at him already. I you think know? he's just worried his brother's going to move in on his territory. I think it's just a thing that happens a lot. And he's, uh, he's got a chip on his shoulder about it. You know, uh, I didn't think it was too whiny, but I mean, I guess I could see how you, how you would, uh, Maybe not be into it. I I thought it was fine. I liked that Sam got to play Big Brother here, and this was the first time we were really kind of informed about. Um, this is the first time we know that he has a brother because prior to this, we just heard about his sister Katie. So yeah. uh, we're learning all sorts of stuff, which I I think stays pretty consistent through the show, which doesn't mm. always happen. So. Yeah, yeah. And I was waiting to hear, you know, something that was going to contradict something that came later, but they kept it pretty vague. And I I liked the fact that, you know, that they brought up Tom in this and that it was a reveal that he had died in Vietnam. Now, we all know this. So I'm, I'm trying to gauge like, what would that impact have been? Having seen the episode for the first time, not knowing that not only Sam, but his brother is passed. I felt really bad. And I knew it was coming. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting when you do know, because like, uh, I don't remember what my reaction was first time watching it, because I I didn't know about his brother when I watched the show for the first time. But it is sad watching it because Al knows, and you know that Al knows, and seeing all of his reactions to everything. There's this great bit after Sam has found Al, like, dancing outside, and he's still in his, like, leisure suit with his man bag and everything. And, um... Sam's just asking about the leap, and he says, Al? Yeah. How was he killed? Who? Because he's not sure if he's remembering his brother. So he, But you'll see the look on his face, and you're like, oh, no! (laughs) Especially, like, when you you know Al's story later, like, how much that kind of hits home for him. And uh, the fact that he has to hide all this stuff from Sam, like, it it sucks. But you can see him, like, trying to redirect the conversation, trying to keep things light, just so Sam doesn't have to remember this. The one thing that, uh, watching this back, knowing everything that's going to come later, the one thing that bothered me is Al has that line, oh, that's this is the one part of your memory I was hoping you wouldn't get back. Not, like, his wife or anything like that. We're, we're fine. <laughs> we're fine with that. But he just doesn't want him to remember his brother. But yeah, yeah, Donna. What else? Well, maybe they were at an iteration of the project where Donna wasn't there and uh, she wasn't there until Sam left again and then he remembered her. 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe Al is just lying again. He's just like, well, maybe he'll think that's the only big secret and he won't dig any further. Oh, coming. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you guys just said. There's uh, some fantastic Al stuff there. It's just I have that niggling in the back of my head this time around that, oh, there's going to be more stuff that we're going to find out that Al is hiding from him. Al's a big fat liar. Always mm-hmm. hiding stuff. And, you know, it kind of, I I have to be honest with you. I mean, I have a brother and we have never been that close. We're actually much closer now than we ever were growing up. And it kind of annoyed me after a while that he kept on like reminiscing about his brother, about his brother, about his brother. It's like, okay, we get it. All right already. But I guess they really wanted to set up for that payoff of that twist that he was now dead. Yeah, but I mean, also, like, he, he had the, he was close with his brother. Like, he was a hero to him. Um, he even talks about it in this episode, the fact he got him to go to MIT instead of playing basketball, how, like, he, he'd kind of be hard on him because he wanted him to reach his potential. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, he, he didn't remember any of this stuff before. So he's rediscovering all these things about him. So I don't know. I guess that's why he's so enamored with it, you know? Yeah, and I just felt it was a little heavy-handed at times based on my own experiences having a brother. And so that's, you know, that's nothing. That's my experience. I'm not saying it was bad. And I really like the fact that they um, also say that Sam is a good athlete here because maybe the – he wanted to – I thought he was out of shape. That's what right hand of God told us. <laughs> he didn't know how to box or nothing. Well, he was probably in good shape when he was sixteen or whatever, twelve or whatever. Yeah. When when but I they even kept that up, like that continuity stayed. The fact that he played basketball, he was never as good as Tom, but he was pretty good. And um, you know, the fact that in the leap home, Tom is saying that Professor said Sam has a brain that comes along once in a generation, maybe maybe a couple of generations. He shouldn't waste his time at Indiana State on a basketball scholarship. So all mm-hmm. this jives. I don't know if they went back and they really looked at this script to base some of that stuff on or if it was just a happy accident that all of it jives just about perfectly. But I'm, I'm glad it did because, again, watching these early episodes, you're waiting to see, okay, where's, where's the lapse in continuity here? What? What's the stuff they're going to fix later? And it didn't take me out of it at all because it all, it all, you know, everything complemented itself. And it was great. It's kind of like when I was seeing Al dance on the dance floor, I was thinking of Pulitzer. And that's why I think that's one of the, the great books of the novel series because it enhances the viewing experience for the episode with the background that it gives because it's so compelling. It's not just like, a, you know, dopey leap about somebody trying to kill Sam uh, that some <laughs> hack would write. But uh, – <laughs> I can't wait to talk about foreknowledge. (laughs) I've got no decent citation for this, um, but apparently all the stuff about Tom was written by Belisario. So this this is a Paul Brown script, but the original script had Katie as being the the main topic for that that whole sibling stuff. And Belisario added in Tom, and of course Belisario wrote Leap Home. So that could explain the fact that it was so consistent. That was just noted in an, another fan publication. They didn't quote their source, so I don't know how much faith to put in that, but hmm. no reason to believe that's not true. Well, that's that's odd to me that Katie would be the focus yet again, because we already saw him think about her in, in Kamikaze Kid. So yeah. that they would do it again so soon. Yeah, maybe that was the thinking. He wanted to have uh, that um, change it up a little bit. Um Presumably, when it was being written, that's the only sibling he had. So that was sort of how you relate the story to Sam as well. The fact that he has a, a younger sibling that uh, 
you know, maybe he had some, he was hard on her or something. Maybe that was the idea that, you know, he's the big brother. And then they're like, no, wait a minute. What if he had another brother and uh, his Mm -hmm. brother passed away? And then he's kind of learning what it was like for his brother. Like, it makes it more interesting. And I think, like, the reason he doesn't go on about Katie like he does about Tom, because he's mentioned Katie, but he does not have quite the reverence uh, for Katie that he does for Tom. Um, He had such, like, an influence on him that uh, really changed his life because he was the one that pushed for him to go to MIT. You're talking, like, 1960s small-town Indiana. His parents probably have no idea what to do with this genius kid. (laughs) Mm, (laughs) And he's thinking, like, why is he sitting here on this farm doing this stuff? Like, he should be using his brain. Like, he can do a lot of things with this. And even Sam is like, no, I want to play basketball. I want to be like you. And he's like, no, like there's so much more that you can do. And that really set Sam on that trajectory toward everything that he did. And there's a really healthy dollop of hero worship involved here. He clearly idolized his brother. He didn't just, uh, you know, like him. He didn't just enjoy his company. He freaking idolized him. So, Mm. I mean, that I think helps with how heavy handed a lot of these reminiscences seem to me. But again, it really works in the context of the story and in the context of the series. So, I mean, that's just a personal nit that I had with it, but it's still really great. And I, you know, I guess maybe I was jealous. I wish, I wish I had a, you know, a relationship <laughs> like that with my older brother uh, as we were, when we were growing up instead of always fighting and always being at odds with one another. But, uh, yeah. hey, so that, that could make a good episode too. <laughs> Yeah, not everyone has the same relationships with their siblings or their family, you know? Yeah, anyway. But, I mean, I thought it was it was just heartbreaking when Sam remembers that he's dead and yeah. Al has to, like, confirm it for him. I mean, the acting was so good in that scene. And Scott Bakula is wearing this, like, flower and bees embroidered jean shirt and you don't even care. Yeah. <laughs> he's, so, he's so sad. And then they, they at the end... Um, when Al brings the picture to him of of him and Tom together, and they got like I don't know some pre Photoshop cut and paste jobby where it's like <laughs> it's Scott Bakula like all tiny <laughs> big suit <laughs> next to next to his brother Tom, and then Sam tries to hold the picture and he can't. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Al says he'll hang on to it for when he comes back, ah! yeah. <laughs> It was so good. It was a great I mean, moment. I don't know about it. I mean, that was clearly in Sam's office or something. Where else would Al have gotten it? So him saying he's going to hang on to it, what, I mean, I'll put it back where I found it, Sam. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry if I, you know, I don't want to puncture the emotion out of the experience for you, Allison, but that, that's me. It was a little yeah, bit weird. Up, it's like, where did you get it and why are you going to hold on to it? Did you fly to Elk Ridge? <laughs> he's making that promise. It's going to be there for him. Like he can hold it eventually, even though we know what happens. Yeah. But, you know, he's even, like, giving him little tidbits, even though he's still pretty... He's going pretty hard on the I can't really tell you much about your life, Sam, before they just kind of throw that out the window later. And, uh, yeah, he's telling him stuff like, you know, you don't have a dog, stuff like... He's throwing him little bones, you know, like, all right, I'll tell you a little bit. (laughs) And Sam's sitting there like, nope, it just gets lonely over here. And and (laughs) Al's like, well, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought that was nice too. And it's funny because right in the last episode, Sam's ready to just, you know, give everything up and walk away. And I, I don't need the yeah. project. In case you haven't noticed, it's God leaping me around, sir. You know? <laughs> and this one, he's just like, I'm homesick. Uh, I just, do you think I'll leap all the way back this time? You have no heart. You don't like anyone being sad. <laughs> I do like, I like sad stuff as much as the next guy. I just, you know, sometimes I like to dunk on it too. So, <laughs> and you say, you know, so, oh, we know what happens with Sam. There's nothing to say that he didn't leap back to the project somehow and grab some of his things or, you know, reminisce about some things. Well, the last title card kind of says he didn't. <laughs> well, he never returned home. That doesn't mean that he didn't do something incognito, you know. I suppose. I like to think that maybe he, he checked in every once in a while with people. Yeah, that's the way I look at it, too. I mean, there's no way that Sam isn't at Al's funeral in some form. There's no way that Sam is going to let Donna rot in the project. I mean, I wrote a story about that, too, about him changing her life. I feel like that's mm. something that he would do. So I I can see him going back and seeing his mom. I can see him going to see his sister or his brother, at least in some way touching base with them even though he has decided to continue leaping for the rest of his life. Uh, because he gets to have his cake and eat it too. He's leaping himself. So why not? Yeah. And then, then when he's mm -hmm. gone, they don't remember him. So if it's anything like Stoppa. Anyway. Uh, you just made it sad again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made, it sad. Go, I made it sad. Way to go, Oh, because we were talking about the uh, – the family relationships uh, in this episode. They have the stuff with uh, Sam and Chris as his uh, temporary little brother. Uh, but he also has to mend the relationship between their dad and them. Um, because uh, the dad's also a stuntman. He's training them both to be stuntmen. Uh, and Chris just wants to make him proud. Uh, but he also, he has dreams of, of singing, but he doesn't think that's, he's going to go anywhere with that. And his dad doesn't want him to. The dad's motivation appears to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, the little brother was born as a preemie mm. and, <laughs> and his mom raised him weak. <laughs> so yeah, after the divorce. He's, he's got some preemie prejudice going on. And so that's why he'll never. That's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, listen. <laughs> I was born three months premature, and I can tell you personally, I'm a weakling. I'm a complete weakling, and uh, I needed this guy to raise me. It, it was so stupid. It was so <laughs> stupid. The guy was just an abusive drunk. He was just an asshole. And yeah. as, the, as the episode went on, I'm thinking, why do you even give a shit what this guy thinks? Why do you need his approval so bad? He's obviously a bad person. Because he's his dad, you know? Some people yeah. just, they, they have this stuff with their parents or their family where they just can't like they want to get their approval so badly and they're willing to overlook a lot of things or deal with a lot of things because they think that family is more than anything, you know? Mm. And maybe they did. I guess they did make up by the end. So no, no, I, I get that. I was just, I was just F this guy, F this guy, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. He was a jerk. Yeah. But you know, did they make up at the end? Because they're still, you know, Sam and the dad are still debating Chris's future. And he even speaks up yeah, and says- he did a bet because of yeah, he did a bet. Gerald Ford tripping. <laughs> he said he'd let him do music if he, if he tripped. <laughs> he's a man of his word. <laughs> but he pipes up. He pipes up and he's like, it's my life, guys. And Sam's like, shh, shh, I got it. I got it. Yeah, but it wasn't it so funny. <laughs> at that point, when is Chris going to say, uh, you know what? F y'all. 
Get my guitar. Yeah, he probably should have taken a little more control of his life after that, but they wanted to do the funny joke about Gerald Ford tripping. <laughs> Matt, do you remember the uh, the ending in one of the scripts for this that involved uh, President Ford? Uh, no. There was one version of the script where um, they're actually there right. when it yeah, happens. And like, I think it's like <laughs> Sam's eating ice cream or something. And then he like yeah. drops the ice cream and then that's what he slips on. <laughs> what? It's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> how? What? Yeah. Let me see if I can find the script. But how would he be like on uh, like an airfield where a presidential jet has just landed? Like Air Force you know One. You got me. You know, just eating an ice cream cone. Like, what? <laughs> I'm looking for the script. I'll see if I can find the ending there. Give me a second. I'm here. racing you for it. Oh, <laughs> one of us will get there first. Oh, this is, this is fascinating. We'll see who had Disco Inferno. Yeah. Was it, it the transcription right. via Al's place, or was it no, the one that the, I scanned? Scan. Yeah, it's your, your scan, which... You guys are such nerds, I'm cutting all of this. Okay, yes. we have a couple drafts <laughs> of this. The one that, that I got... Yeah, this, yeah I've, I've got it open now. <laughs> Okay, so right after the they rescue Chris and at the the whole thing, they have the mood ring joke, and then okay, mm-hmm. uh, here's the last scene: exterior college campus Ford Rally Day. So it's a, a rally at the college. A warm spring day, we see red, white, and blue streamers and posters that read Ford seventy six. Angle on Ray, Chris, Shannon, Sam, and Tracy. They eat ice cream cones and wait for President Ford to arrive. Chris is on crutches, but otherwise healthy. Shannon, Ford could arrive here any minute. Ray, you really think that peanut farmer has a chance against the president? Sam, hey, who can predict the future? Shannon, (laughs) somehow you did. You knew Chris was going to get hurt. Sam looks at Chris. Sam, call it brother's intuition. Observer's voice and trusting a friend. Wider angle to include Al. He's standing inside the cordoned off area. Sam turns to Chris and looks at him for the last time. Chris sees the look. Sam hugs him. Chris, what was that for? Sam, for being my brother. Chris is touched and embarrassed, but seems to understand in some strange way. Moving with Sam and Al. As he crosses through the crowd, he meets Al at an area that isn't quite so crowded. Sam, hey Al. Observer, how you doing, Sam? Sam, pretty good. Beat, thanks for looking out for me. Observer, nods. Hey, that's what I'm here for. We're a team, remember? Sam, heartfelt. And Al, thank you for giving me back my brother. Al smiles, touched by Sam's sincerity. Sam glances over at Chris. Angle on Chris and Shannon. They're laughing. Shannon wraps her arms around Chris. Omitted. Back on Sam and Al, watching Chris and Shannon. Sam, smiles. So when am I going to leap? Al shrugs. Student's voice. Look out, he's coming! The crowd surges forward. Someone bumps into Sam, knocking the ice cream cone from his hand. Police and security push the crowd back. The presidential anthem plays. Angle on President Ford. We see only the bald top of his head as he makes his way through the crowd. People cheer and wave American flags. On Al, he stands inside the rope, invisible to all the Secret Service agents and police standing guard. On Sam, he stands near Al on the other side of the rope. He cranes his neck to see the president coming toward them. Sam's eyes suddenly flick to the ground. Angle on ice cream. It melts in a puddle on the edge of a staircase. On Sam, his eyes widen as President Ford heads right for it. 
Sam, look out! Sam's scream is swallowed up by the roar of the crowd. Close on President Ford's foot, it steps right into the puddle of ice cream and slips. Angle on Sam and Al. The rise mirror President Ford's bouncing trip down a long flight of stairs. The crowd gasps. The cigar drops from Al's mouth. Sam can't believe what he's just done. Sam, Al, was that what I was here to do? Observer, I don't know, but that was one hell of a stunt. Al watches in amazement as Sam suddenly quantum leaps. Fade to black. (laughs) The end. And from this, what what we learn is that Sam has a reputation for being terrible at saving presidents. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to cut that down how much you want, Chris, but... (laughs) It's all gold. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible, but it's gold. That's a stupid ending. (laughs) (laughs) That's stupid. It's much more elaborate. It's too expensive, that ending. You got to get extras. You got to do a crowd shot. You got to get a Ford impersonator. You have to do another stunt if he's falling down an entire flight of stairs. So, Well, and it reminds me, too, of like that uh, scene in uh, Blind Faith where they have the bad Beatles stunt stand-ins going by and like it just feels a bit too much like sam doesn't always have to be exactly there at that moment in history or whatever i've got this this really clear visual in my head now as well because like seasons two through five the opening credits end with that classic shot uh from the end of this episode of sam giving the thumbs up just as he leaps and i'm imagining in this alternate history seasons two to five ends with sam dropping an ice cream cone and going whoops <laughs> and then the logo comes up created by donald p belisario <laughs> that is a great shot him doing the thumbs up in the tacky yeah. 70s shirt and then leaping out amazing Yet another iconic bit of lore from this episode. I think that's almost as iconic as the Fermi suit and the accelerators, that thumbs up leap. Oh, for sure. So thank you, Disco Inferno. Uh, I never expected us to get so far into the weeds on stuff that I didn't even have notes about, but you guys are just a font of brilliant information. Thank you. Because <laughs> it's such a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I undersold it a bit with my uh, with my initial impressions. It's got good stuff in it. Right? So, okay, so we've had the alternate history, but um, there's a little bit more to talk about in the episode, no? What what are the notes you guys have? Allison, what what about you? I know that you're always chock full. (laughs) Okay, the beginning of the episode, um, this is before they have the saga cell, so they have, like, the the recaps by Sam basically going over the previous episode. Um, He does this analogy... That is just nonsense to me. He's like, oh, leaping around in time reminds me of my senior prom. And There's always a guy who didn't bring a date and wants to dance with your girl. And it's like, what? Is that a Sam thing to do? <laughs> he was at a senior prom and there's some loser stealing his date? Like, come on now. <laughs> and I like that that's the analogy that he uses for Roger, who was trying to murder him and kidnap his wife. Yeah, it, like, it had nothing to do with Honeymoon Express. It was so clunky. You could tell they were out of them. They're like, we need a saga cell big time. <laughs> and it was just like, how do we write into disco? How do we write into disco? Right. How do we write in? So that was, yeah. It was a stretch, a big stretch. And it wasn't until- uh, It worked, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't until- Which one had the first saga cell? It was uh, Another Mother? Another Mother. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be a little while. Uh, I also wanted to note Scott Bakula looks great in this episode. Mm-hmm. He's wearing these like tacky outfits, but somehow he makes it work. Like I thought they did the perfect like like curl and feathering at the end of his hair. <laughs> He's looking all studly in his tight shirts and pants. He's a beautiful man. 
I did like that shirt that he was wearing after the stunt, uh, that, that black and red one with the weird stripes on yeah. it. He looked pretty cool. He looked good. Yeah. So the, 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 the suit he initially leaps in just feels like, you know, a tacky, stupid costume, but I guess in canon it is a tacky, stupid costume. So true. True. Yeah, but him and Al both uh, looked great in this episode. I was uh, going over the episode stuff just to get some names on uh, the Al's Place website because they usually have that stuff um, all located there. It's easy to find instead of hunting through IMDb, which I used to do like an idiot. But um, they had mentioned that Sam actually has much more costume changes in this episode than Al. Al only has three. Sam has something like eight or nine. So Right, right. So that's, that's, that's some useless trivia for everybody during Quantum Leap Trivia Night. That's interesting. <laughs> so what about Ziggy being down again, though? I mean, how many times has Ziggy been down now? Or is this the first? I just feel like Ziggy is already always down. What was the point of Ziggy being down in this? So that they could have like a problematic joke about Japanese chips. Is Ziggy fixed yet? We're having some problems with him. Uh, right now he's... Right, he, right now he's Japanese. What? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they do like a little gong noise, and it's like, um, <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> and I was like, ah, foreign microchips or whatever. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know what the point of that happening was. Though they have that part where, um, Al talks about Ziggy being down and then like doing a bunch of weird stuff, and uh, he put like a bunch of zeros on everyone's paychecks, yeah. like extra zeros. And like, first of all, why is Ziggy in charge of everyone's paychecks? Yeah. Ziggy, Ziggy runs payroll too, apparently. <laughs> I guess. Um, so everyone rushes out on vacation, steals a bunch of money, uh, just the most unprofessional project in the universe. And then they have the the tragic clown moment where Al's like, "Well, I can't go on vacation. I got to be on standby for you." And he's like, "Ah." <laughs> He can never leave except in the books, and he's just, like, constantly gone. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he, he used to leave. Like, at right hand to God, he would go home. and uh, That's true. And go home, go to sleep, and he had the, the neighbor with the speakers. Maybe he got a talking to. Maybe he got scolded for being unprofessional. They're like, you got to quit leaving for basketball games and stuff. <laughs> Donna had the frying pan. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> ah! You have to watch Sam. <laughs> Maybe he did. He used to go home. He used to just go screw off and do whatever he wanted to do because he thought oh, Sam will be home this next sleep. We're still trying to get him home. You know, call me if he doesn't get home. But now they realize, uh, we're we're in this for the long haul, aren't we? All right, we better set up some quarters or something for me close to the imaging chamber, I guess. Well, he kept going home, but um, he was watching cable TV, and then he saw this movie on cable, and it was a stinky movie, but it gave him some research for this, so really, it helped in the end. You know, I think I saw this movie once on cable, we're talking two thumbs down. <laughs> he saw this movie, <laughs> two thumbs down. <laughs> I think that was before Project Quantum Leap, but anyway. You never know. They could be running a crappy old movie on cable. He doesn't have cable. They don't get cable at the project. It's a secret project. He said cable. He said he thinks he saw. Oh, you're yeah. saying they wouldn't get it. They they're too cheap for cable at the project. They didn't find any money in that forty four billion or whatever. Who are you gonna Who are you gonna <laughs> bill? Who are you gonna bill? You're gonna get the cable guy up when the signal is down. Come on. Uh, Ziggy can steal some cable. There's no cable at the project. <laughs> I I will fight you on this, uh, listeners. They got a satellite dish. <laughs> listeners, weigh in. Is there cable at Project Quantum Leap? I say no. <laughs> I didn't know you had such strong opinions about you know what kind of TV service they would have at the project i don't think they have any tv service they'd have to have satellite or something right what kind of signal are you going to be getting like that far underground exactly there's no tv at the project it's it's a barren wasteland everybody's miserable 
<laughs> I think the Al meant that he saw that on TV like years ago. Yeah, I just mean, you know, when he was fucking off, then he saw that and then it turned out to be helpful in the end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I like he gave it two thumbs down. He just watched a crappy movie and it came up. He got to see the making of this crappy movie. Yeah, yeah, now, I just realized who I'm talking to now. Of course, this is the part of the episode that you notice. Some, somebody dunking on a bad movie. <laughs> I thought it was funny. I just love the, I just love the visual of Al, like, watching this stupid movie on, on cable. But, you know, when you're watching a stupid movie, but it's so compelling, you have to keep watching, like, so. Yeah, I mean, you've never felt closer to Al. Right. Yeah. He also he said he was starstruck through the episode. Like he he always wanted to be in the movies. I think that's consistent with uh mm. with Catch a Falling Star, where he uh where he loved the theater. He loved being in the limelight. Yeah. They also had a really fun visual of him uh, in the flames when they have the rescue at the end. Like he's just standing around in the fire, and they do these like cool hologram effects of like a, a beam falling through him and just casually looking at it. They're trying to, again, show you the hologram aspect yeah. of his character here. I thought that was cool. Like, that's, I love when they would do stuff like that with him as a hologram. Like, he really, like, nothing can hurt him, so he could just be anywhere. And so it's an interesting visual seeing him there. And um, there was a joke in there, too. I feel like gets missed most of the time because it's kind of smoky on the set, so you can't see him that well. But while those flames are around him, he's trying to light his cigar with a, yes. um, <laughs> a, a lighter, but it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I didn't notice that. We have to go back and see that. Yeah. That's really funny. Good. That's pretty funny. So good Al stuff, good hologram stuff. Although there was a step down in quality for sure. You could tell. This is one hell of a composite shot here. <laughs> yeah, they were still doing it on film, but you could tell it was an effect, but I thought it looked pretty good. Just on that topic, although this is far less amusing, but it just reminded me um, in terms of jokes about the, the fire, there's also, again, something that you don't can't necessarily immediately spot. Chris, for whatever reason, has got a whole load of newspaper clippings on his wall. I don't really get why that is, but he's he's... He loves his newspaper clippings, and one of the newspaper clippings is Fire Rages Out of Control in Midtown. I don't know if that oh. was an intentional uh, throw forward to what's going to happen. Oh, I'm sure. It definitely was. Foreshadowing. It's, it's kind of <laughs> subtle, but it's cool. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah, I noticed that as well, and I thought it was a little weird, but I thought maybe it was like press clippings for the movies they've been in or something like that, um, hmm. but- the fact that he's just got a random newspaper headline about a fire downtown. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just wants to keep up with the news, maybe because he mm. was into like news and politics and stuff like that, just like uh, Shannon. Yeah, mm. could be. Sure. Why not? I always hang newspapers on my wall to keep up with the news. So makes sense. Yes. It's not that they're going to be out of date in a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just, yeah. This fire happened three years ago. I'm yeah. still interested in it. <laughs> He's writing a book about it. Maybe he just thought, you know, the aesthetic. He's writing. No, maybe he's writing a song about it. That's it. He's yeah. writing a song about it. These are tragedies, and he's a country music <gasps> artist. Yeah. So he's finding sad yes. things to write about as a country music artist. There we yeah. go. All right. Headcanon <laughs> resolved. Let's move on. Thanks, Chris. Well, you know who we didn't talk about, who I really liked, was Arensha Walker as Tracy DeVore. Yes. Tracy DeVore. Aquarius. Boogie Town Records. She was uh, the the lady who's in this like casual flirty relationship through with Sam through the episode. Yeah, she was great. <laughs> 
Yeah, she was she was in charge of the music on the movie. Have no idea why she would be on set, but she's there and she's immediately attracted to to Chad Stone. So <laughs> she's uh, she's all over Sam, but it seems to be a consensual relationship between the two of them. Like Sam seems to be kind of like a little uncomfortable, but then he seems like he's into it. So they're just sort of mm. casually together through the episode. And I think you answered your own question there. It's obviously her company is in charge of the music for the film and she's partly doing it because she knows it's an opportunity to go and hang out with sexy Hollywood guys. <laughs> she's just in it for for the flirting. <laughs> Not necessarily just in it, but you know, it's she's like, Hey, I wanna come and hang out on set for a couple of days. I'm I'm working with you and the director's Yeah, we don't need you, but sure, why not? Just just keep quiet and go and flirt with the stunt guys. Yes, free love in seventies. This is just whatever. Yeah. She's going around with her mood ring, <laughs> pinning whoever she wants. She's just going to be in the background in the film too. So eye candy for uh, for the background shots for the Was background she players. In the movie? I, she's sitting at the bar, which is obviously a film set, which is a club, which is confusing. And yeah, but they were just hanging out at the bar because Sam was there too, and his character just got shot. So I don't think they were filming. Yeah, but you know, you could have him as a background because he was meant to be the lead actor, and now he's himself. Like he doesn't have any kind of stage makeup on. So, oh yeah, yeah. I guess sometimes stunt people will be <laughs> background characters, right? So it's like saying, like if you see Diamond in the background, but they weren't shooting; they were just hanging out there. Or maybe they were. Maybe they're always shooting. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that's the point. Like, yeah, all those times in the the show where you see Scott Bakula suddenly look a little bit like Diamond Farnsworth, like in a in a background shot, and yet yeah. there is Diamond Farnsworth front and center in how the test was won, being like, "Hey, <laughs> right. yeah, he's hanging out I'd with like Zeke." To that there. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was like unusual that Sam would be like just in a in a flirty casual relationship where he wasn't like he didn't feel guilty about anything, didn't seem like he wanted any long term commitments or anything he was just into it and like i thought she had some really great reaction faces to things like <laughs> when girls are like throwing drinks in sam's face or like someone gets punched right in front of her and she's like oh <laughs> <laughs> she thought it was good i thought she was really cute too she had a lot of yeah. cute outfits <laughs> and i gotta say yeah she's a very attractive and um very very good personality so if were i sam i'd be like yeah sure Let's hang out. I mean, you're really cool. Yeah. And you're pretty and you want to kiss me. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, I just thought that was a fun detail for the episode. Yeah, she was a good character. And the way that they worked her in to be an integral part of, you know, Chris advancing in his career, um, It, I like that because in this episode, there was so much oozing sex, let's say. And I guess because that was just the, the, the comedy relief for Chad, right? Or Chaz, whatever, the, the, the leapy Chad, right? Chad, yeah, Chad, Chad, yeah. Chad. So at times I said to myself, Jesus, did Tommy write this episode? Because every woman is like an oozing <laughs> sex spot or has slept with Chad or <laughs> think he's dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a guy who's having like a relationship problem with his father. This, yeah, this is a Tommy episode. <laughs> That's true, noticed. yeah. <laughs> Maybe Tommy gave Paul the idea and uh, he said, just put in this, this, and this. Oh, okay. This is easier than I thought, right? I have a great idea. Listen. <laughs> you got to begin the episode with Sam getting blown away into a window. Don't tell the audience what's going on yet. Do they just think he's just been blown away into a window? <laughs> yeah. I Okay. I had one last note. Um, this, I believe, is the episode where um, the sunglasses that Jean-Pierre Dorley gave me were going to be used. 
Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up. That was my final note was going to be oh. a note to say, Alison, <laughs> tell us about the sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, refresh everybody's memory uh, if they haven't heard it for new listeners. Yeah, the uh, the costume designer, Jean-Pierre Dorliac, he gave me a pair of sunglasses that were going to be used, and I believe he said it was in this episode. Um, Dean Stockwell is going to wear them. They're very similar to the red ones that he wore in Kamikaze Kid. Uh, they're like a, a purple-colored sunglasses. They're all plastic and translucent. Um, yeah, I guess they were messing with Dean Stockwell's eyes with the like uh, stage lights or something, so they ended up not using it. I guess that's why they didn't continue using those kinds of sunglasses going forward. That's so cool. But yeah, I own almost used, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, almost screen used sunglasses. I think almost screen used is cooler than actually screen used, just because there's a really? story behind it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love that I have them, and thanks again, Jean Pierre. You know, it was really, um, yeah, really cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I wish they had. Ah, oh, Allison, I feel bad. I think they saw like a purple set of those would look good with that blue suit that he was dancing in. Oh yeah, maybe that was when he was going to wear it. I don't know. It would have made him just that much more cool. <laughs> I, imagine how much you'd love them if he wore them with the leopard suspenders. They'd be even cooler. Oh <laughs> yeah, that'd be the coolest look. <laughs> Uh, when you're editing, if you hear a tiny meow, by the way, I have a new kitten named Ziggy. Guess why? <laughs> uh, Ziggy, this was her first episode, was it not? This is her first episode. So if you hear like a little chirp, that's her. But uh, <laughs> you showed her Disco Inferno? I did. I was watching it just before. She loves screens. And I was watching it just before we recorded. And she was sitting at the desk, staring intently at Scott Bakula, leaping in <laughs> into a disco suit. I took a picture of her. Uh, it was adorable. That's brilliant. That's the way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. She likes it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Chris, so. told you about this once. <laughs> All right, all right. So, um, hey, congratulations on the new Kitty Cat, Allison. Sorry about Thank the you. almost screen-used prop, but it's still a cool story. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not sorry about it at all. I think it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe get a picture of um, new Ziggy in those glasses watching Disco Inferno. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I think I'm out of notes for Disco Inferno. Uh, why don't we get some final thoughts, Allison? Yeah, uh, you know what? I undersold it. This is a great episode. I don't know what I was talking about. It's all right. I think it's great. All right. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I, <laughs> same for me, actually. I think just talking this through with you guys has made me appreciate it even more. This is a really fun episode. Bring it on. Yeah, it's a podcast first for me. I usually come in with a set opinion and it doesn't change, but I, I I think I enjoyed talking about the episode with you guys more than watching it. And the next time I watch it, I can only now think about the discussion that we've had. So you've improved it for me. Thank you, both of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, the magic of the Quantum Leap podcast. Oh. Well, we might be done talking about Disco Inferno, but keep your dancing shoes on because after the break, we'll be bringing you our interview with time in Farnsworth. Stay tuned. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. 
please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can for as little as a dollar a month you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast it goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going thank you hi i'm diamond florenceworth and you're listening to the quantum leap podcast i gotta move you ziggy you're purring right next to the microphone you think that's bad. Oh my God. I was editing together um, one of the leaps elsewhere. And I think that Scully must have been on top of Matt's microphone. Hey, everyone, oh, we're no. back. What? Here it is behind the scenes, behind the scenes at the Scully. QLP. All I hear is. And I'm like, wait, I can't noise reduce that. It's a cat snoring. Uh, I was just bored. That was me. Um, uh, possibly she, uh, she is very noisy when she's asleep. Ah, uh, the pets we know and love here on the QLP. I'm sure that uh, you might have heard Penny barking downstairs at some point, but that's neither here nor there because, as promised, here is our interview with Diamond Farnsworth. Diamond Farnsworth, how you doing? Good, how y'all doing? I'm doing very good, excited to talk to you. I want to find out a lot about you, about your career, about how you got into the business and everything you've done in the business. And of course, I want to talk a little bit about Quantum Leap. Why don't we start at the beginning? How did you get into stunt work? Um, I got into stunt work by uh, my father. My father was a stuntman, and then he became a big actor, Richard Farnsworth. So I got in a long time ago. first movie I did was The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston in 1955. Wow. I love a donkey crossing the part of the Red Sea behind Eston. So that was my first way in. <laughs> wow. That was quite a while ago. So, That's and then cool. um, when I got out of high school, I, I went with my father on a movie called Paint Your Wagon, Pretty Morgan and Clint Eastwood, to do stunts. And that's when I started doing stunts. And I came back from there. I started working on all the, the shows back in the, the 60s and the 70s. Do you have any uh, really big standout memories that uh, before you got to Quantum Leap? Before I got to Quantum Leap? Yeah. Well, let's see. I believe we started Quantum Leap in the, it was the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was, well, at the time before I started Quantum Leap, I was doubling Stallone and Rambos and First Blood, First Blood and Rambos, stuff like that. So did all that. You did a lot of really good movies that every guy probably has on their shelf. Terminator, <laughs> They Live, Ghostbusters. Right. You've been in all those. Right. Right? Yes, been in all of those. I mean, there have been in so many that, to be honest with you, I don't even remember. In fact, I was, I was looking at some stuff today about what I was on. And, you know, it's funny. Some of them I didn't even remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's been so long. How has your career gone stunt-wise? Like, have you got injured a lot or you've been pretty safe or... No, I've been injured quite a. I've been injured a few times, pretty bad. I got hurt really bad on a on a show called Rollerball, which mm-hmm. we did in Munich, Germany, and I got hurt pretty bad on that one. And then I got hurt on another show called Roller Coaster, where the roller coaster threw me about 150 feet past my pads. I landed on my knees and split my back, hip, and pelvis in two. Mm-hmm. So, but I've been hurt, you know, and just broken, you know, ribs and stuff like that, which are kind of normal, you know, horse will roll over on top of you or something like that. Does that kind of discourage you, or do you just take it as a part of the business? Take it as part of the stride, you know. I mean, there's a lot of great stunt guys that have never gotten hurt, you know. But uh, I have been hurt. 
you know. So you kind of watch your P's and Q's a little bit and try to plan a little better. So, you know, and I mean, stuntmen for Hollywood, which I say for movies, we're not thrill seekers. We're not, we're not trying to kill ourselves. We want to get up the next day to go to work where the evil Knievel guys who are jumping the motorcycles for shows and stuff, that's, that's their job. That's, they get hurt, they get hurt, you know, but uh, that's not what Hollywood, I mean, and I use the word Hollywood, I should use the word movie stunt guys do they want to they want to be able to work the next day right you got to keep working to keep getting paid right correct (laughs) correct you know they're not giving us a million dollars for to jump a motorcycle make it or don't make it you know so how do you feel uh just a question popped in my head how do you feel about digital stuntmen it's computer animated people that might do uh falls that are too high or something oh well you know what they do too well the neat thing about those are is you know, you're doing falls into pads and everything else, and they then they they color the pads out. And hey, any way you're going to make a living, you make a living. Hmm. You know, if, you know, I, I I don't have that doesn't bother me. Or I think that uh, eventually the video will take over the stunt world, which it's going to take over a lot of different places. It'll take over makeup, hair. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to take over a lot of you know a lot of people's jobs if they keep going with it. They're where they're at now. They can do that. You know, they they don't even need an actor. They can make some actor up and have some guy come in and read the lines for it, you know, like <laughs> a cartoon. Yeah, true. How did you get uh, started with Quantum Leap? How did you get that job, and how much did you do for Quantum Leap? A whole bunch, right? I did every episode of Quantum Leap. Wow. So um, uh, Scott Baxter and I are still good friends, and I do the New Orleans show with them. I'm part of it. But uh, I got started because of Don Belisario, creator. Uh, I worked on Magnum with him. Then I did another show with him called Tales of the Gold Monkey that I was a stunt coordinator on. And then once he started, uh, once he started Quantum Leap, he just brought me aboard to be a stunt coordinator and double Scott. Yeah, you doubled Scott Bagula a lot, didn't you? Yes. Are you like his personal stuntman now? I I was his personal stuntman for a long time. I mean, I did every, if you look at IMDb and you look at all the shows I did with Scott, but then he started doing shows, you know, which everybody does in Canada, which it's kind of funny. They don't really, we don't go to Canada. And then once I started on JAG, the TV show, I kind of couldn't get away to go double him anymore, but I did double him on the thing he did called Enterprise. Yeah. I, yeah. My boss would let me go over and double him on that because it was the same, you know, him and my boss and. Don Belsario and Scott were friends, so he would let me go over and double him on it. Love Enterprise. You two look so much alike, you can hardly tell it's you ever. Well, it, it, that's one thing I did uh, back then. They colored my hair. I, I had blonde hair, and he had dark hair, and they'd colored my hair. And once I put the, his clothes on, we looked quite a bit alike. They could do a lot of stuff with me, you know, do it for him. And, and But he did a lot of stunts himself. I mean, he's a very talented man. He really is. Like, uh, to give you an example, uh, we, we did a baseball show one time, and uh, they wanted him to slide into home. And I said, Scott, I don't play baseball. I have no idea how to slide into home. He said, okay, here's what we'll do. I'll slide into home. You just stand over there out of the way, and I'll show you. I said, okay. <laughs> and he did, and he slid into home. You know, because it's something, you, if you don't really know how to do it, and I've, and I've never played baseball. And he did it, you know, so he's a very talented boy. He really, he really is. Is he as nice as everybody says? Oh, he's nicer. He, the guy give you the shirt off his back. I mean, 
There's only a few actors I can say that I thought were just great actors to work with. And the first one would be Scott Bakula. He he was just great. And so is Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon is great, too. They're just great people. So that really works out for you, being the stunt coordinator on New Orleans. Yeah, I'm not really the stunt coordinator on New Orleans. Okay. But Jonathan Arthur is a kid I hired to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an overseer on it, is what I do. Okay, okay. That's stunt. Uh, but I'm the stunt coordinator at NCIS with Mark Trump. Oh, What does uh, Overseer do? I just, I go over the budgets with him, and when he has a question how to set something up, I tell him how to do it all, and uh, we work it out together, and uh, that's what, kind of what I do on, on that show. Very nice. That's a that's a great show. It's a big hit, and uh, I love it. I like it, too. I think it's pretty cool, and, and I like, but I like seeing Scott on stuff. I think Scott's a great actor, and I think he kind of makes the show to me. Me too. That's exactly why I'm watching it. It's the first NCIS I've ever watched, and I'm really liking it. Good. Quantum Leap. Uh, there must be, if you worked on every episode, there must be stories that stick out in your mind of like different stunts or different things that happen on the set that the listeners might love to hear. The different stunts we did, because he moved into so many different things, and I can tell you, like, uh, I remember um, having to do a fight in uh, women's clothes and high heels and do a big fight. And uh, Scott did some of it, too. So, you know, putting high heels on and dressed up like a woman and doing a martial art fight was pretty unique. But one of my favorite ones was when Scott leaped into a chimpanzee and he had to walk around like a chimpanzee with a diaper on. (laughs) That was one of my favorites. I liked that show. I know you told a story once before about uh, the water skiing on the Leap Home Part 2. Oh, behind the Huey? Yeah. Right, behind the Huey, yes. Uh, Michael Zinberg was the director of that episode, and um, Don, my boss, he wanted to do it behind a PT boat. Well, we couldn't find a PT boat, and so we said, what are we going to do? I said, well, why don't we do it behind the Huey? He said, you can do that? And I go, sure, I could do it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so that's how that came about, of doing it. So I had a friend of mine who was the helicopter pilot, Kevin LaRosa, flying the helicopter for me, and that's how we did that. Was there anything that they wanted you to do ever that you uh, said, that's not safe or we shouldn't do that? Well, there's always a way around it. You don't ever tell them no. You say, well, that that's good, but why don't we look at it this way and, and give, give them an ultimatum where, where it doesn't sound like you're kind of not going to, don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you never want to, you know, you always have, there's always an option. And let's look at the other options we have to do it safer. So, you know, that's what I've learned, in, you know, by being in the business so long. There's always options. There's always a way to work it out, figure it out, right? Right, right. It's a very collaborative art, I guess, making TV. Um, TV is, and, you know, sort of movies, you know. Is there a big difference between uh, being a stuntman for movie or television show? What would be the difference? As a stunt coordinator, the only difference is you get uh, three, four months to set things up, where in TV you get four days. <laughs> to get everything set up, then you're going to go do it. So to me, if you can do TV, you can do any feature in Hollywood anytime, you know, because you're constantly, when, when you do TV, and, and this goes for all the department heads of, of TV, you're shooting one episode, and then you're breaking down the next episode at the same time. So when that one's done, you start the next day, you start the new one, and you have to be prepared. So you don't get a lot of time like a feature you would. But you still have to be as safe as possible, right? 
Correct. Well, that's the main thing. You know, safety now is the most important thing. There isn't a piece of footage worth getting anybody hurt. I agree. What did you think personally of the uh, Stuntman episode of Quantum Leap, uh, Disco Inferno? Uh, well, I, I had a big part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was I, I thought it was fine. You know, I mean, it, it, it kind of reminded me of a little bit of Hooper and all those other shows they do, you know, Fall Guy yeah. was kind of like that, you know, so it, it wasn't my, it was a good episode, but it wasn't my favorite episode. Were you uh, kind of like a impromptu technical advisor for that episode about stunts and things? Well, I actually did some things. I did the, I did the well, Dublin Scott when he got shot with a shotgun and goes flying back through the stained glass window. Right. And then I did the fall through the top of the building, coming through down with that fall. So I did quite a bit of stuff on that for Scott. That's awesome. So That fall from the building, the way it looked in the episode, it looked way too tall for any stuntman to do safely. Did you notice that when you were watching the show? No, actually what it was was that was done in two parts. And what happened was they took a shot, I believe it was from Earthquake, the movie Earthquake. Mm -hmm. And I believe... It was Bob Yerkes who did that fall. And then I tied it in with the shorter version of busting through the glass and then hitting the pads, which they intertied it to. Yeah, it looked really good. It looked really good. I thought the funny part of that episode was where uh, Scott had the wig on to make him look like the actor, even though it was the right. same color as his hair because the person that he was in had different color hair. It was very funny. Right, right. Things like that. <laughs> So uh, what really stands out in your career that you really are proud of, something that you worked hard on and it came out great and everybody loved? I, I would have to say there's a lot of features, you know, like uh, First Blood, Dublin Stallone and First Blood, and probably Dublin Stallone and Rambo. Mm. Those stand out. A lot of people, when I go and talk things, they always ask about those. And I mean, but there's so many features I've done, you know, coordinated and did that you know, that mean a lot to me, too. You know, but those are the two that really stand out. First Blood and Rambo, were they, uh, like, good sets to be around? How was the whole environment, directors, and uh, Stallone himself? Oh, every, no, they're, they're all fine. They're all good. Every, everything's good. That's yeah, good. you know. Do you remember uh, what you did on They Live? On They Live. You know what, we were running around, I remember running around and getting shot at and stuff like that. I do remember that part of it. But there was a lot of different things we did, too, and it just, you know, it was so long. Ago. Yeah, quite quite a bit. You know? And after a while, shows start running together. You know, some people say, well, I would remember what I did. Well, you know what? I talk to other stunt guys, and they don't remember what they did even. So it just isn't me. <laughs> How often would you say that there were stunts in Quantum Leap? Was there at least one per episode, or were some more heavy and then some not? I would say almost every episode we had something to do. Every episode. That's good. If you looked at them, you can see something happening. If it's just driving a car fast or whatever, you know, when he leaps in, something usually happens then, you know, so. Did you have any female stunt persons on Quantum Leap? Sure. Yep. Yeah. A lot of, lot of girls stunt girls on it. Did you have like a whole team of people? I have a few people that I use all the time. I use my daughter. Her name's Courtney, who I know you know. Mm -hmm. um, I've used uh, a girl by the name of Donna Evans, who I use on almost everything I do. I use Donna. And um, then I use uh, Marguerite Happy. You know, there's a lot of girls that, that I've used on Quantum Leap, and I still use them on, on the shows, you know. That's great. Today, on 
NCIS and stuff. Without giving any spoilers away, any uh, NCIS, New Orleans stuff coming up, like big stunts, maybe? There's a few stuff coming up. There's some really good stuff coming up, but I really, until it airs, not really can't talk about it. Okay, you I know? understand. No, no, no. It's just that, you know, that's the whole idea. You know, they... Don't want to spoil it for people. You know, you shouldn't. Be. Right. You shouldn't, you know, people say, oh, why did he say that? <laughs> a lot of action on that show, so that's good. A lot of action. Well, every time a new show starts out, there's a lot of action because it gets the people involved. And then it'll start, after it starts taking off, it'll start slowing down a little bit. Hmm. How is it on the set there? Like, uh, is Scott liking uh, his new part? I, I think Scott likes his new part. I think he's uh, having fun with it. And like I say, only in my opinion, mm -hmm. I think Scott's one of the, the best actors around. I mean, here's a kid, not a kid anymore, but here's a guy that can... Uh, I remember when we did the Elvis episode. Remember when he leaps into Elvis? Mm -hmm. He went to our prop man, George Tourist, and he said, uh, can you get me a guitar? And George says, well, yeah. So he, he got Scott a guitar, and in a week and a half, Scott learned to play it and sing the song and play the guitar. Oh, wow. Now, you tell me how many guys can do that. He's committed to the art, definitely. Yes, he's definitely committed, and he's a great dancer. You know, he's a song and dance man. He did Broadway, you know? And to do Broadway, you know, you you have to be a... Back then, you have to be a song and dance man, and, and he is. And, and he remembers his dialogue. He practices... I mean, when he comes to work, he knows his dialogue. He's very good about that. He gets to play the piano on the show now, too, which is exciting. Yes, which, well, he's a piano player. He he has a gorgeous home with a gorgeous piano in it. So I know he plays piano. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier uh, Courtney. That's how uh, I was able to find you. I found her on Instagram. Is that scary, having your daughter be a stunt person? Did you try to talk her um, out of that? No, no. She she started at a really young age. She started, you know, when she was a little girl. So she's grown up with it, same as I did. So she kind of knows what she can do and what she can't do. But, um, you know, she started on, she worked on Kindergarten Cop and stuff like that when she was younger. She wow. did a Michael Jackson video. Oh, which one? Him. I don't remember which one. If you go on her, it's on her, it's on her, you can go on IMDb and look it up. Okay, I'll check that out because I'm a big Michael which Jackson fan, so that's that's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, we both worked on it. And I remember it had Joe Pesci in it. Oh, okay. Uh, something maybe Moonwalker or something? Moonwalker, yes, something yes. like that, because she doubled the little girl that uh, oh, wow. she was throwing around. Yes, yes, so I do remember that. Doubled the little girl. Wow, so she did so, start young, yes. Wow. Yeah. So you're on the set for that. Uh, did you meet Michael Jackson? Yes, we, 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 we met Michael Jackson. You know, we said hello to him, you know, said hello to him, and that was about it. Then he walked on and all stuff we did. He really wasn't around much for what we were doing. So, but we did meet him. Courtney got to meet him. Well, that's exciting. So, Going back to Quantum Leap, was there any situation you were put in and you were just thinking to yourself, how did I get myself in this situation? Um, not really on that show. I, I never got into any bad situations or thought I was in a bad situation because everything was pretty well mapped out with what we did and stuff. So not to say it hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> Can you but, tell us a little bit about it when it did on other things maybe? Well, when I was doubling Stallone and he was up on top of the, that cliff getting ready to jump off and I looked down and I, I said to myself, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Then then once they were, say, roll a match and you kind of, that goes away. 
Wow. So you were there for Quantum Leap for the whole time. What was the experience like for you in your life? As experiences go, how do you rate that? Uh, Quantum Leap was it was great. In fact, I hated to see it end. It was great. You know, it really was. And I mean, it was kind of a bummer when it did end because the network said, hey, if you cut this back in seven days instead of eight days, we'll give you another pickup. And they did it. And then the network still canceled it. We go, wait a minute, we did everything you wanted. And then you canceled it. So Yeah, that was crazy. I don't know. Maybe it just wasn't doing well in the ratings. I don't know, you know. Do you ever sit back and reflect about all the things you're in and just think, wow, like I'm a big part of Hollywood history? No. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> now, I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I've never thought of it that way. I mean, I'm a firm believer as a stuntman that we're behind the scenes and mm-hmm. we, uh, we're kind of like magicians and, uh, you know, give your trade out, and you, you know. And a lot of actors don't want to want to have people let people know they'd be doubled and stuff like that. I've had actors, you know, that don't want they do all, you know, they want the public to think they do their own stunts. And for me, that's fine. I do, that doesn't bother me. Some stunt people it does, but it doesn't bother me. I'm being paid for doing what I'm doing, and that's that's if that's their wish, that's their wish. And uh, <laughs> have you ever heard an interview of somebody saying that they did their stunts and you know you did them? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And and, and, I'm, and I'll give you a prime example. I mean, if you think about it, if an actor's doing a big stunt, we say he's doing a big stunt, you know, with Tom Cruise or Arnold or any of them, the, the, the people who insure that movie would not insure it by letting him do a big stunt. Because if they shut down, they have to shut down because he gets hurt. They have to pay everybody. They're not going to do that with, you know. Now, I that's that's just all through Hollywood. I mean, that's what happens. You know, they it was like on The Great Escape. I don't know if you remember The Great Escape. Yeah. And um, Steve McQueen jumps the motorcycle over the barbed wire fence. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve was an excellent motorcycle rider, very good motorcycle rider. But they wouldn't let him jump it. But he could, his stuntman, jump the bike over the barbed wire fence. After shooting, McQueen took the producers and everybody out there, and he jumped that barbed wire fence to show him he could do it. I wow. mean, because he was a good motorcycle rider, but that was after the movie was done filming. <laughs> then it's okay, because it's already in the can, right? Yeah, right. If you do have, like, an actor that wants to do their own stunt, and I guess you would have to approve it for them to do it? Well, you want to make sure it's going to be safe and not going to get hurt, you know? Like when you do barroom fights. You usually do a barroom fight that we do what they call a master which is a whole picture of the whole fight. So you have all the stunt people throwing punches. You have your doubles in there. And then from the master, you come in and do all your close-ups of each actor, you know, throwing the punches or taking a punch and doing the same thing the stunt guy did. But he's not going over the table or anything like that. They're taking it up to that. Then they cut, they put the going over the table in. And that's how that's how we do all that. Are you surprised at how many people know who you are from shows like Quantum Leap and different movies you've done? Well, nobody's ever come up to me and said, oh, I remember you in Quantum Leap. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm not an actor. I'm a stuntman. So, you know, if I was an actor, maybe I would. But uh, as a stuntman, I've, I've never had anybody come up to me and said how great Quantum Leap was unless they 
find out I worked on it, then they'd say something. You know what I mean? So it's it's kind of nice. You get to work on the show, but you can still go to the local supermarket if you feel like it. I can go, right. I can go everywhere. Like Tomo Conan and, and Scott, you know, they mm. they got to be careful where they go now and stuff. We used to do a lot of big fanfares for Quantum Leap and stuff. The audience flocked in. It was amazing how many people would come to that. And Scott would give a talk, and all the actors did give a talk and stuff, and it was very well received, and um, it was big. I'm a big Star Trek fan. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience on Enterprise and what you did there? Well, the only thing I really did on Enterprise is uh, was double Scott, you know, do some things for Scott. And to be honest with you, we did, you know, the big part of this stuff, I just don't remember every episode that I did. I just went in for one day, doubled them, you know, left and went back to my other show, Jag, at the time we were doing that. So I don't remember everything. I know we did a lot of fights, did some air ram stuff, things like that, flying through the air. But that's the only thing I can really... Did you get to keep a uniform? No, I didn't get to keep a uniform. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? And and everybody asked, do you get to keep clothes at... And I go, no, wardrobe has the clothes. They don't give them out to you or anything like that. So maybe if it, when it ended, I might have asked for one. They might have given me one of them. I don't know. But you know what's so funny? When you're working on them, you don't think of that. Mm. You know, it's funny. You don't think of, geez, down the road, I ought to have one of these for, <laughs> you know. Well, I'm just thinking, like, if you were on a flying harness or, like, a ratchet or something, you'd have a big cuts in them anyway, right? Yeah, well, they had a lot of they had a lot of them, you know, yeah. uniforms. I mean, because you have to cut the backs of them, mm-hmm. put the the cables through, and stuff like that. But you know what? I I think when you're working it, you're around it. It isn't the big deal like it is if you weren't. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Uh, it's always more um, magical when you're not involved in how it's made, right? Right, right. You know, I mean, you know how it's done, and you know. You know, you just put the clothes on and do it and take them off and hang them back up in your room so the wardrobe people can pick them up when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) A couple silly questions I have from Quantum Leap. Oh, sure. I've joked on the show before that Sam Beckett, the character, has uh, a disability and he's unable to tell if he's wearing a harness because uh, the, the Disco Inferno part where he gets shot well, where you got right. shot through the window. And right. then also when he was on the harness to dive into the pool of the uh, Frat Boy episode. I did that. I wasn't in a harness on the uh, on the dive into the Frat Pool. I did that on my own. But going through the window, I did have a harness on, a jerk harness to pull me back through. They call it a jerk off. Is what they, call <laughs> it. And they have a, a ratchet. Yeah. That is a nitrogen ratchet. When you hit a button, it automatically just snaps you backwards. Can you get injured from that, or is it just uh, fast enough oh, to yeah. not get injured? Yeah, like whiplash or something. No, it, you 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 can really get hurt doing those. You know, that's why you got to make sure what you're going through is not solid. I mean, uh, one of those ratchets could pull you through a two by four. That's how strong they are, and that would hurt you. I'm guessing you got to be probably like good at math to know where to put the pad and everything. Well, that isn't one of my biggest. <laughs> things man <laughs> so uh you kind of know where to put the pads i mean mm-hmm. after you see you know you do tests and stuff like that like for the window went in i tested it see how far it's going to take me where it's going to take me then you got to figure out once you go through that window how much it's going to slow you down to put you know 
And the neat thing about that was I could put a lot of pads around because they weren't seeing them. They were shooting it from head on and saw him just disappear behind. Then they picked him up on the other side of getting up. Remember? Yeah, that was great. What are some of the biggest stunts you remember doing in your career? Do you get scared when you're doing them? Sometimes. <laughs> One of the scariest stunts I did was in a movie with Charlton Heston called The Last Hardman. It was a Western, and I was doubling James Coburn. And I had to roll underneath a moving train and grab it. And you could only go under one car because it was high enough to where you laid on the trestle and you could roll as the train's coming by. You have to count six cars. And when they got to the sixth one, you had to start going. When that wheel was right at your head, you had to start going to get inside before the back wheels wouldn't run you over. That was pretty scary. I'm scared just hearing you talk about it. (laughs) I'm scared (laughs) to talk about it, too. (laughs) Uh, Well, luckily, you made it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I made it. That was good. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Was there ever, in Quantum Leap, was there ever guys dressed as girls for the stunt persons, or did you always get a girl for them? Because a couple times they didn't look quite like girls. No. To double stunt when he was a girl? No. I mean, uh, for the female characters, like jumping off a train or or in the back of a laundry truck. Oh, oh, we'd always, if it was a female girl, we doubled it with a female. Okay. I didn't use guys or, you know, in the old days, they used to do that. Nowadays, we have plenty of girls to do all that. So, you know, if it's a girl doing a stunt, a girl double will double her. Oh, cool. You know. Uh, How has the stunt business evolved? Is it harder now with the newer technology to where you can see the stunt person's face easier than before? I I think it's it's not harder. It's, 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 I think it's gotten a little easier. But, you know, here, prime example, I mean, now you do uh, a lot of the big features are doing big martial art fights, we'll say, and they have pads down on the floor so the guys, the actors can hit the pads and stuff, and then they just paint the pads out and put a floor in so it doesn't look like pads. So that's easier than just hitting the ground like we did all the time. <laughs> that's really a good thing that you can add yeah. more safety now because you can just paint it out. Right. That's awesome. Right. How has other technology helped in stunt work? Uh, what do they have, descenders now that they didn't used to have? Right, descenders, right, a descender. Sure, a descender is a cable you hook to yourself and you can come off of a building and it will let you all the way down and just about four feet before you hit the ground, it'll stop you, you know. Big, big features use that. We use that on JAG a few times. We use the descender um, of doing the fall off of an aircraft carrier into the water. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, safety airbags are, are gotten better now. But I'm, I'm a firm believer. I still like falling into boxes. The only, and that's where, you know, the old-time stuntmen learned to, to build boxes and fall into boxes. Because airbags you can bounce on a little bit or tweak yourself, or boxes drop you right straight down. It's kind of nice. Is there too tall of a fall that you can't do because of just, like, say, terminal velocity? I think anybody that's trying to go over 100 feet is ridiculous because nowadays with the lenses they have now, they can make a 50-foot look like a 300-foot fall, you know, really? Yeah. Long lenses and stuff. So there's no need. And if there is a need for it, then you put a person on a descender. And now they can paint all the wires out and everything too, right? Correct. They paint all the wires out. Do you ever watch your work back, like when it's on TV or in the theater? Do I ever watch it? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'll go to things and watch them. Have you ever seen anything like you wish that they wouldn't have showed that shot or that angle to give away maybe the wires or something? Well, 
No, because now, yeah, I mean, like I said, they paint the wires out. You can't really see them. And in the olden days, they painted the cables so you couldn't see them on film. So, um, no, I mean, I'm sure there's been one or two things I go, wow, that looked kind of dorky. I wish we didn't do that, you know. But everybody's critical about their own stuff, too, you know. Mm -hmm. Or why'd I do that when I should have done this? So, yeah, I guess, yeah, I have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you get your nickname, Diamond? Because I'm a girl's best friend? <laughs> no, that isn't it. <laughs> but I got my nickname. My real name is Richard Farnsworth, same as my dad's, who was a stuntman actor, Academy Award actor, actually. And um, his nickname when he was a rodeo cowboy was Diamond Dick. And when I was born, they announced to a loudspeaker that Little Diamond was born. So all his friends called me Little Diamond. And I just grew up with it and, and kept it, you know? That's awesome. That's how that came about. Overall, are you very pleased with your career and everything you've done? Oh, I I couldn't have asked for a better career. Um, I've been very blessed. I mean, I work every day as a stuntman, and that's kind of unheard of for stunt people to work every. I've worked every day for over thirty years. Wow! So um, I've been very very blessed and very lucky. Thank you for being part of our show. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So how cool was that, guys? I mean, I I remember hearing that interview with Diamond, um, God, I guess when it aired, uh, it, how many years ago? I have no clue. But I was listening back to it, and I was just like, please talk about Disco Inferno. There's no way you can't not talk about Disco Inferno. It's the stuntman episode. God, please. And they talk about Disco Inferno, as you just heard. And I was just like, I can't wait to rerun this because there's no better episode to rerun this legacy interview that we have. And uh, Mm. I think it's great that we're able to pull some of these back out of mothballs. It's been, you know, what, 10 years for some of these, the last time they were on on the show. So this revisiting stuff uh, really helps us get back to sort of the roots. And I love all the work that Albie did. And Diamond was a great interview. He was a great guest. So I'm sure there was stuff that you were able to glean from that interview that you put into btmi as well matt oh yeah a bunch yeah that's a fascinating interview and lovely guy yeah yeah so really fun i'm glad that you know he just basically scott's personal stuntman and all the way up to ncis he was working with him so thank you diamond for being on the quantum leap podcast thank you for the insight into the way the stunts were done on the show and thank you for just being you know an all-around cool guest and a cool guy so mm-hmm. hey you know what else is really cool what, Chris? Our new patron. <laughs> That's who's really cool. Whoa. <laughs> wow. We have a new $10 Oh Boy level supporter. Yeah. His name is Bryce A. Lynch. Let's hear it for Bryce. Yay. I mean, it's not quite Busamuda, but what can be, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bryce. That's real generous. You're awesome. Yeah, you are. You're awesome. So as a $10 old boy supporter, uh, Bryce gets access to all of our bonus content. He's also a member of the Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club, and he will get his Quantum Leap Podcast bookmark. And I will eventually, at some point, probably next year, because I'm so backed up with interviews, be interviewing him for his very own old boy segment for the Patreon feed. Mm. So Bryce, I'm coming for you. Thanks so much for the support. And, uh, you know, we couldn't do it without you or any of the other patrons. And speaking of which, we've gotten a bunch of feedback from uh, several of our patrons. So I want to start with this voicemail 
that we got from our producer patron, Harold Sullivan. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Hey, all, this is producer Harold here. I'm glad that uh, Allison is back. She's got a very good sense of humor. She cracks me up. All of you <laughs> together, your chemistry and the way you play off each other. I respect her not wanting to be on as far as certain, you know, new show or whatever. And I have opinions about that show similar to hers. So I want to let you know that. And I want to mention uh, that person that left a message that was kind of negative that you brought up about how uh, they don't want you to put on interviews. Well, I appreciate that because being blind, I'm not able to go on YouTube and go look for all those old uh, interviews with the cast. So since you've been putting them up, this is actually new to me and helping me. And I'm sure it's helping other people and other fans. And uh, this is a good thing y'all are doing. And I'm happy to be part of the show. And I would like to be as much part of it as I can and contribute more. Thank you. Well, that was great. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. Thank you for all the all the kind words. And, you know, I never thought about the fact that the stuff that's just video only wouldn't mm. be as accessible. So that's great that that helped him out. And thanks for telling us that, Harold. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I love that response because um, it, it touches on a couple of different things. Everybody's so happy that you're back, Alice. <laughs> Thanks. Anecdotally, I've heard from just about everybody who I know personally who listens to the show. They're like, thank God Allison's back. I've missed her so much. So Yes, Aww. same. Oh, thank you. Well, that means a lot. It's nice to hear from everybody that uh, we're all on Team Allison here. And uh, well, thank you. We're happy to it's have nice. you home. <laughs> and I'm happy to be exonerated with my putting together the interview redo shows mm. because, you know, um, obviously there, there it goes. That, that, that proves the worth of, of doing it. And um, I've been enjoying them. And uh, it also, again, points out all of Matt's great work and Albie's great work in getting them done. So. Definitely. So thank you, guys. Yeah. It's worth putting those things up for as many people to see or hear as possible. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, thank you, Harold, for that feedback. But Harold wasn't the only patron to give us some feedback. I put a discussion thread up for Double or Nothing, uh, which <laughs> was the book that we read on the last episode. And we heard from a few of them. Why don't we do these one at a time? I'll take the first one. From our patron, Ashes Embracing My Inherent Cringe Arc. I know that's Alice's favorite. It was so it. much, uh, this is about Double or Nothing. It was so much missed potential. I was so pumped to read it, but for the first like 20 chapters, I was just waiting around for something to happen. <laughs> So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Allison, why don't you take the next one from Jeff? Uh, all right. Jeff Kiska says, I think you all hit the nail on the head. It was a great season five style wacky gimmick, but ultimately just didn't deliver on the premise. I agree that actually involving Al in the leap and focusing on his interactions <laughs> with the two versions of Sam would have been a very compelling story. But ultimately, it was just two mostly disconnected leaps with Al just doing his own thing in the future. <laughs> like mm -hmm. like yep. thrumming his fingers on yep. the table and thinking about eating in zero G. And <laughs> yeah, angry. Like, well, what else can I fill the page with? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Michael Gleason said... I recognize Michael Gleason. Hey. Uh, yeah, Michael Gleason has uh, some very similar words uh, to say. Uh, Michael says, I like the concept, but oh boy, this one was a turkey. <laughs> Sam being split in twain sounds fun, but not only separating him from Al, but not having the two Sams interact until way too late in the book killed any potential the book had. I have sympathy for how it must have been a hard book to finish given the situation, but I'd rather they scrapped it altogether. <laughs> Definitely a low point for the novels. Wow. Mm. Wanting projects scrapped altogether. Yeah. 
That's something else, huh? I feel like this is the novel that everyone seems the most agreed upon. Mm. I think all of us thought that <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about scrapping it all together. That's pretty hardcore. <laughs> no, no. I just mean like, it, you know, everyone seems to have yeah. the same points. I don't, yeah, I guess scrapping it all together. I don't know. There's there's one or two things <laughs> that were worth it. <laughs> I like how he says it's a low point for the novels, not the low point for the novel. So there's always hope that there's one worse out there. I know Allison has her crosshairs set on one. <laughs> I feel like there are definitely worse ones <laughs> in the range. Four knowledge coming up, don't yeah, we? Yeah, four knowledge. Come on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> we know what a stinkaroo is. That is the stinkiest. It smells like Lindberger all the time still. And I wrote it 30 years ago. So if you would like to be like Michael or like Jeff or like Ash is embracing my inherent cringe arc or like Harold Sullivan, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can send us a letter or fan art or a new set of mittens or anything you want to P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can call us on the phone, like Harold, at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Instagram at quantumleappodcast or Twitter at quantumleappod. And you can see us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. You can also go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and speaking of coming up next matt tell me you're prepared oh i'm prepared this time oh you have the book (laughs) in front of you yes yes i do so coming up next we're back to the novels with odyssey by barbara walton here's the back cover blurb will a leaper learn his lessons before it's too late In 1983, in a small town in upstate New York, Sam Beckett has a problem. He's leaped into a brilliant but troubled boy named Sean O'Connor, who's part of a gifted students program called Olympics of the Mind. The program is about to be cancelled, and if it is, Zicky says terrible things will happen to Sean and his friends as they grow up. But how can a 12-year-old boy put right what is about to go wrong? In 1999, in the centre of the secret project known as Quantum Leap, Al Calavici has an even bigger problem. The real Sean O'Connor is in detention in the waiting room, and he's determined to escape. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Yeah, I might have built that up a bit too much, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It was good. It was theatrical. (laughs) This is the book I I remember as um, there was a printing error on my copy of it, so there was like 30 pages missing in the middle, so maybe this time I'll know what happened. (laughs) Oh, really? You're kidding. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, there was some weird printing error. Huh. Wow. I, I, there's like a bunch of printing errors even in the proper copies, uh, which I will gladly go through in the next episode. Mm. So uh, the 30 pages you missed may have never been correct anyway. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Can't wait yeah. to get into it. And we have two editions of this one to compare, right? We have the American edition and we have the Box Tree edition as well. So which one did yes. you read, Matt? Both. It's always both. Gotcha. It's always both versions because they've got different errors in each one. Cool. <laughs> There's errors for everyone. Oh, errors yes. for every flavor. <laughs> errors for the UK. Errors for the US. Errors for everyone. And you get an error. You get an error. You get an error. Because that's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, we like Allison it. Allison gets uh-huh, her own uh-huh. special error. <laughs> 30 pages yanked out. I can't say I remember being sad that I didn't see th- read 30 pages of it, if that says anything. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so it continues. Well, I can't wait to get into that with you guys. Everybody out there, uh, get your bookmarks uh, ready. Keep them handy because this is kind of a longer one. This ain't no like, you know, mid-morning read like uh, Double or Nothing was. This is an actual book. So give yourself some time to read it and uh, we will be discussing it. And I look forward to doing that. Until that time, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Harold Sullivan, Glenda Palma, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. All right, we're ready to. Uh, I usually say we're ready to rock and roll, but I don't think it's apropos in this case. Oh dear, Chris. Oh dear. <laughs> Is everything all right? Stop jumping up here. She sees the. <laughs> she sees the recording uh, moving across the screen on Audacity, and now she's fascinated by it. She thinks things on the screen are bugs, and she has to catch them. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> she wants to catch the 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 wave, whatever. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> She's so cute. She's so she cute. is adorable. Yeah, brindle kitty, huh?Ree cool. Yeah, she's a she's a three months old, so she's still a little girl. Mm. And she was the runt, so she's even tinier. <laughs> oh, oh, you're, oh, you're going to be insufferable, aren't you? Oh. Mm. You got that new pet love. She's so cute. Yeah, she's batting at the screen. Thank you. <laughs> oh, hey, Ziggy, keep batting. Batting a thousand, Ziggy, batting a thousand. I love, too, when it's like, here's our cat's names, you know what show. <laughs> Ziggy and Scully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You guys are such nerds. Yeah. <laughs> My next one will be called Lothos. <laughs> My car is Lothos. And actually, I have two cars in the driveway, Ziggy and Lothos. Ziggy was the first one. Lothos is the new one. So, Really? I'm just as bad, yeah. <laughs> I'm homesick. Oh, I just, do you think I'll leap all the way back this time?